Thanks, Tim. It'd be great if you can keep that part of uh, God's Word open, uh, Colossians chapter 3 there. We're going to continue our series that we've begun, looking at this great letter that Paul wrote. And last week was pretty dense, we said, pretty packed in with goodness. There's more goodness in here tonight. And so I'm going to pray that God would help us to have the focus and energy to get the most out of it. So let me pray. Father, we thank you that as the author of this letter, you are present here with us tonight. Father, make it live for us. Help us to see it. Help us to be challenged and changed by it. And we can ask that confidently, Father, because your Holy Spirit longs to do these things through your word. And so we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I said it was dense. What I want to do tonight, before we get started, is actually to give us a little bit of background that will help us understand the things that we meet in chapter 3. So in order to do that, I want to give you two pieces of information. The first has to do with baptism, and it comes from the first reading that we had from Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, we are told this, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The first piece of information I want you to know is that baptism joins you into Jesus' story. Baptism joins you into Jesus' story. What does that mean? Well, from this Romans passage, it means that his death is our death. So he died physically, we died spiritually with him. His life is our life. He was raised to life. We came alive spiritually with him. And that his seat now in heaven with his heavenly father is our seat. Spiritually, we are seated with him. This is a great truth. So baptism, truth number one, baptism joins us into Jesus' story. The second thing I want us to see is that Jesus' story is bigger than perhaps we thought. But let me explain what I mean. I'm going to throw a whole bunch of words up on the screen, okay? So bear with me, it's going to be all right. Okay, firstly, we know that Jesus' story starts with the incarnation. Uh, That's when Jesus became flesh. So we go to our Christmas story, okay? God in a bod, okay? Incarnation, that's how we start. We know that he didn't just live and grow old in a retirement home, but Jesus died. So we know his crucifixion. Jesus dies on the cross to pay the price for our sin. Did he stay dead? Right there, good answer, good answer, some of you know, okay? If you don't know, come back at Easter, we'll tell you some more about it. No, 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 wonderfully, we know about the resurrection. Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead, he came alive again. Now, for most of us, that's Jesus' story. But there are two more words I want you to know about. The the fourth one is exaltation, okay? Jesus didn't just come to life again, he was actually raised, exalted to the right hand of the Father. That that means he was lifted up in clouds of glory. Where is Jesus now? He's at the right hand of his Father in glory. Okay? So then one more thing, and I didn't know this when I was the age of some of you kids here. I didn't know that Jesus would return one day as the judge. Okay? So we have incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, exaltation, return. Fine. But here's the thing. I reckon for many of us, We are comfortable with the first three. They involve Jesus being our saviour, right? Fantastic. That's the story we hear all the time. The next two are heavenly. They're about where Jesus is now and what he will do in the future. And they involve Jesus being Lord. 
Baptism involves us in Jesus' story. And what I want you to know is Jesus' story is probably bigger than we hold on to all the time. Jesus is Saviour, yes, and Lord. Well, let's keep those things in mind as we have a look at Colossians chapter 3. Now, I reckon tonight there'll be almost no one who knows who this is. Is that right? Can anyone tell me who this is? He's English. We don't mention his name. Johnny. Johnny English. (laughs) That is funny. Uh, his His name, if you don't know, is Johnny Wilkinson. And if you don't know at all who he is... Don't worry, we're, we're, we're pained for you, okay? Uh, this is the man right here, um, about to kill off our World Cup hopes um, some time ago. But what, what's he doing? Well, what he's doing in a very unusual way is something that lots of people do, which is before he comes in and kicks uh, Australia out of the World Cup, what, what he's doing is he's visualising that ball going straight through the uprights. And so he's stopping there, and thinking in his head, that's what's going to happen. And you see sports people do this all the time, pre-visualisation. Why do they do it? They do it, first of all, because it works, but because our actions follow our mind. Our actions follow our mind. So as you think, as you look, so we will do. And that's going to help us as we come to Colossians chapter 3 here. Have a look with me at verses 1 to 2. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So we're supposed to have a profoundly different focus. And in fact, each of these things that describes Jesus actually helps us understand something more. It says here that Christ is above. Why is he above? Well, first of all, because he was lifted up in clouds in glory, so he's above us. But being above us actually speaks of his rule and his authority. There is no one greater than Jesus because he's been lifted up higher than all. So firstly, it talks about his rule and authority. Then it says he's seated. So he's raised up and he's seated. And the amazing thing is uh, that normally what you would do is you would stand up to work. You would stand up to work. So when it says that Jesus is seated there, It's actually saying that his work is finished. It's completed. It was all done on the cross. Now, I point to this one. You you know it wasn't here, don't you? This is a representative cross, okay? It was done in Palestine 2,000 years ago. But Jesus is seated in heaven because there's no more work to be done. And where is he seated? It says he's seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven. Why right hand? Because he can be God's right-hand man. Okay, so he is in a place of honour and favour, which means that Jesus from this place can offer us a promise like Matthew 28. Does everyone know Matthew 28? In Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, what? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. How can Jesus say all authority has been given to him? Because he's raised up, he's seated, and he's at the right hand of his father. Well, what are we to do? We're to pick our minds up and focus them where Jesus is. We are to look up at Jesus. Now that sounds brilliant. Let's look up at Jesus. But gee, it's hard to keep doing that. We are distracted by earthly inputs all the time. What sort of things distract us? Well, it might be uh, Netflix. It might be a book you're reading. It might be social media. It might be the news alert that just came in on your phone just now to tell you 
that those crazy people in America have killed more people, in, whatever it is, right? There are things that distract us all the time and they drag us down to earth. They keep our minds set on earth. Not only inputs, but all sorts of distractions. It could be the person that you're, you're planning to marry. It could be the physical hurt in your body. It could be the habits that you've got. It could be, but we get distracted and our minds don't go to the heavenly place. So how can we lift our minds up as we're told to do? Well, I want to suggest to you that there are three things that you can put into your life that will help you to lift your eyes up from all the distractions of the earth. They are reading God's word, they are praying to him, and they are enjoying fellowship with his people. And it says up there, they're most likely inputs to lift our minds up. Because let's be honest, guys, how many of you, by watching Netflix, have been forced to exalt Jesus? Right, I won't take a survey, I won't ask you to put up your hands, because I know it doesn't work, does it? So where do I get input that will cause me to lift my eyes up to the risen Savior? Only in the word, prayer, and fellowship. And so I'd say to you today, if you say to me, oh, look, in the past week, I just, I haven't had any time to read God's word. Can I be really honest with you, church? If you say that, you're lying or you're deceiving yourself. Because I promise you, if I added up the number of words of worthless inputs that you read in the last week, they would be like this in comparison to the time that we spend in God's word. So if we want to have our eyes lifted up, we've got to invest in inputs that will lift our eyes up. And if you tell me, I, I, look, it was a busy week, I didn't have time to pray. Well, firstly, I'd say, congratulations, you must be having a really good week and feel like you don't need a saviour. Right? Secondly, if you didn't pray in this last week, I can assure you I know where your mind is. It's on earthly things, yeah? And if you never hang out with people who are heading to the heavenly destination, you will think that everybody doesn't think the way you do. You will think that, well, I should just go with the crowd. Try hanging out with people who will lift you up to the heavenly places. Prayer, the word, and fellowship are the inputs we need to do what we're told to do here. Now, today's Father's Day, and we have some lovely things that we like doing in our family and on Father's Day. Um, everyone will run into the room, and even though my kids are getting large, hello, beautiful children, even though they're getting large, we still do this. They'll hop into bed, and then we'll pull up the covers, and, and Isaac in particular will love to hide underneath the covers. And so, in a real sense, he's hidden with me in a great big loving hug. How wonderful is that? Do, do you know what it is to be wrapped up in love? To be hidden in love. Have a look at what it says in verses 3 to 4. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, what, a, what an awesome picture, right? We're wrapped in a beautiful blanket of love with Jesus. Our life is hidden with him. See, our future is with Jesus. Our future is with Jesus. One day, Jesus is going to return. That's brilliant, right? However, most of us don't walk around with an I'm with Jesus t-shirt on. Although I would say to you, some of you might, we could, we could get one, couldn't we? I'm with Jesus. You know, a little hand going up like this and just says, I'm with Jesus. That'd be awesome, right? But as we wander around, people don't know that you're with Jesus. 
What we do know is that on the day Jesus returns, he will return in glory and we will be vindicated. What, what does that mean? What that means is, I don't know, maybe at school, people will make fun of you because you're a Christian. Maybe in your workplace, people talk behind your back about you as, a, as a, one of those faith heads. One day, you will be vindicated. Jesus will return in glory. This is going to happen. You and I will see this, God willing. We will see Jesus return. And on that day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will say, Jesus is your Lord. And you'll be saying, he's my Lord. I, I chose that. I chose that when I could have. I made that choice. And so we will rejoice in Jesus' coming. And we will go, yes, I knew it was worth it. We'll be vindicated on the day that he returns. And so it says that we will appear with him in glory. Remember to look forward to the day that Jesus will return. There's a a book that's increasingly old now, I've realized, called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Has anyone read this? Hi, Doug. Hi, Andrew. Good on you guys. Um, I have two. There's a beautiful little line in it. I'll, I'll read this one for you. Bear with me, it'll make sense in the end. It says, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Now, now what does that mean? It means, well, do you guys remember this ad? From little things? Big things grow, right? Okay, here's what it's saying. It's saying, from a thought comes your destiny. You keep investing in these little decisions and they'll actually take you a million miles. Okay, So sow a thought. And, and what I want to encourage you, church, tonight is to sow a heavenly habit. We must get more adept at thinking of heaven because it will shape our destiny if we do. It will shape our destiny if we do. Now, this is a, a terrible thing to find under a microscope. Uh, this, is a, this is a cancer cell apparently under a microscope. It looks dreadful, I think, although strangely pretty at the same time, but that's probably the special effects. So that's cancer. There's, there's another yucky thing I'm about to put on the screen, right? Um, so this is a wart, okay? Also not very nice, but totally different. Here's the thing I want you to think about. We're talking about killing sin tonight. That's what the passage is actually about. And so I want to ask you, is sin a cancer to be fought or a wart that can be hidden without consequences? So is sin for you like a cancer that we've got to cut out at all costs or is it like a wart that you can kind of hide a little bit? And and maybe by putting a band-aid on it, no one will ever see it. And if I can be so bold, maybe we're really good at putting band-aids over our spiritual warts of sin just before we walk into church. Look, I'm going to be the nicest, most lovely person. I'm going to let other people get to the hot dogs before I do at supper, just to show how calm and peaceful I am. Yep. Well, so here's the question. Is sin for you a desperate battle that we want to make sure we cut out of our lives, or have we grown familiar with it? Are we, have we grown friendly with our sin? Have a look at what follows here. Verse 5 and 6, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
And so it says here something about the wrath of God. And I think for many of us, we go, oh my goodness, let's not have any wrath of God in this place, please, right? That's the old, you know, preacher thumping and Bible bashing wrath of... Well, if that's the only thing you ever heard at church, right, maybe there'd be something about that. But I noticed that it turns up in our passage here tonight, and apart from what I just did, we don't normally thump the pulpit, do we? However, sin is something we need to understand properly. First of all, we need to know God loves us deeply. Tick. We need to know that God is deeply just and holy. So he's a just God and he's a holy God, which means that he is also a God who will judge sin. The holy, just and loving God can't let sin go. He must judge it. And so for you and I then, knowing that there is a day of judgment coming... We should anticipate that day and be about the job of killing sin ourselves. Because when we see Jesus face to face, how much sin will we want to have in our lives? None at all. And so if we're looking forward to that day, couldn't we be about the business of preparing for the coming of our King? We need to remember that sin is fatal and not your friend. Sin is fatal and is not your friend. Now, we had this incredible list, and at every service so far today, I've gone, oh my goodness, are we really going to talk about sexual immorality in church? You know, what a, what a terrifying list of things to look at, right? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and then he adds greed. And you kind of go, well, Paul, you seem to be a bit on a run there. Why did you add greed at the end? And I want to suggest to you, my thinking is that greed is actually a summary of those four things. What, what way has God made for us to be able to express our sexuality in an appropriate way? Well, he said that the, the place to express sex is in a married male and female relationship. That, that's what he said. That's the place for the proper expression of our natural urges and instincts. That, that's what he said. And what the marriage service actually says. So why is it greed? Well, all kinds of sexual immorality and impurity are really greed beyond God's good boundary. Do you see? So, so oh, look, I'm, I'm young and single. Wait for God's good boundary. I'm older and, signal, and single. Wait, wait for God's good boundary. I'm married to the same person for a really long time. Stay inside God's good boundary. What, when we do any of these things, in all the incredible ways that our world encourages us to do this, we are greedy beyond God's good boundary. Do you see that? And then he says, not only is it greed, but it's idolatry. In what way is this idolatry? Well, because the decision to say yes to my greed over God's good design takes Jesus off the throne and puts me in his place. Jesus, do you know what? I don't want your advice on my sexuality. Don't you know that's really important to me? I want to be king of my own sexuality. And so it's idolatry because it makes us sit on the throne, do you see? And takes Jesus down. We must be about the business of being serious about sin. 
Now, when was the last time you had an open fire? It, do people like open fires? Have you got a fire pit at home? Uh, we like uh, incinerating marshmallows uh, as a family. What a wonderful thing that that is. We don't get opportunities to do that very often, but awesome. Stick, stick on fire, marshmallow on fire. Good things happening, right? Fantastic. Now, I've got a polyester jacket on tonight, okay? If I was near the open fire, would this be a good option to be wearing? Okay, no, it would, it would not be a good option. And so my question tonight would be, would you keep wearing a burning jacket? Don't think too long on this tonight, uh, New Life. Would you keep wearing a burning jacket? Great answer. Good, fantastic. What we would do is if my wonderful bit of polyester started to shrink wrap me, is I would get it off as quick as possible. I would throw it off. That is how Paul is telling the Colossians to deal with sin. Throw off the burning jacket of your old life. Look with me at verses 7 to 8. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. You see, what he says here is that we need to have a new life. You know that's the name of our church, right? Great, okay. Here's the thing. This, again, this is desperately deep logic for a Sunday night, right? But if there's a new life, it means that there has to be an old life. Okay? You can't have a new life without having an... You guys are with me. This is big kind of complex things, right? So you must have an old life. But here's the challenge. You and I are called to follow a new master. So we mustn't look like our old life. You'll have the same name and the same email address, but your character must not be the same as it was before you met Jesus. You with me? There must be a break. There must be an old to have a new. They must be different because you've been called to follow a new master. And one of the ways that this must happen is your speech must be sanctified. That's made holy. You need to be who you are. If you're called a saint, you need to be sanctified and holy. Look at this list that, uh, that Paul came up with. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. It's very ordinary holiness at one level, isn't it? They all seem to be about your mouth. He wants us to be holy with our mouths. And I think he means that we're wholly transformed. We're wholly transformed right the way across all of our speech We'll do this. Now, um, some of you are younger here tonight. I want to tell you how I did this. Now, I, I reckon I became a Christian probably about year nine in high school. I've been going to church all the time. But I figured out Jesus was my king. And so then I figured out I shouldn't swear anymore. And I used to do it a lot. And so what my friends, a couple of my mates and I, two other mates, we came up with a holiness program. You ready, kids? I want you to listen to this. We decided we didn't want to swear anymore. And so what we decided was if one of us swore, the other two guys could punch him as hard as they wanted. Okay? Now, this is real. This legitimately happened to me. And so it's really Pavlovian, right? If I swear, I hurt. And guess what happens? Once you connect those two things together, your brain starts doing some rewiring. And you go, you know what? I don't want to get hurt anymore. And we used to smash each other. And do you know what happened? Sorry? Slow learners, thank you very much, Jeff. Yes, what happened was we literally beat the, <laughs> beat the sin out of each other. Now, I don't advise this as a really healthy, it was very juvenile, it was very male, okay? But what happened was we said we want to be serious about sin. 
and we literally beat it out of each other. And, and I wonder, when was the last time you were serious about sin? I want to introduce you to a guy who lived a long time ago. It's a man called John Owen. He lived in 1656. Well, that's when he wrote this book I'm going to show you. He's a guy called a Puritan. He lived in England. Now, if he's called a Puritan, guess what he's all about? Ah, oh, you guys are onto it. Fantastic. Good answer. Now, he said some incredible things in this really ancient book. Here's one of the things he said. He said, always be killing sin or it will be killing you. Always be killing sin or it will be killing you. And, and then he said, there is no death for sin without the death of Christ. So let me listen, listen very carefully, church. If you're not a believer and you hear me tonight saying, don't swear, don't be involved in sexual immorality. If I tell you to do that, you might try really hard to do it. But here's what I know. You will fail. You will fail. So there's no death to sin without knowing that the ultimate price for our sin is paid by Jesus. And he doesn't just pay the price. He gives us the equipment to help us to say no to sin and yes to God. In fact, it's not equipment. It's a person. Do you know who God gives us to help us? His Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit will come and dwell in us. And so there's no death for sin without the death of Christ. He must pay the price and then he must empower us to say no to sin and yes to God. He, uh, he calls this book the mortification of sin in the believer. So what's mortification? Well, mortification is killing off sin. And it's a really heavy word. And someone told me this morning it's also a Christian death metal band. So there you go. Uh, but, but mortification... And I want to say to you, church, I need to be, and I want to encourage you to be, we need to be more energetic at killing sin and not putting a smiley, drawing a smiley face on our warts. We need to be killing sin. We need to be cutting it out. We need to be involved in mortification, the death of sin. Well, he goes on with this holy speaking line. Have a look with me at verses 9 to 11. He says, Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Paul is saying that lying is not compatible with your new self. Lying is not compatible with your new self. We are supposed to be people who have a new home and who have a new family. We are supposed to be the truth people. Why? You know what Jesus said? Uh, I'll do it in actions, kids. See if you can pick it up. Jesus said, I am the... Yeah, yeah. Jesus said, I am the... Okay, if we take them one at a time, what was the middle one? I am the... Okay, if Jesus is the truth and he's our king, he's our king. And we say, I'm with him, the guy who said, I am the truth. How can we be people who are full of lies? Doesn't work, does it? It's not compatible. What sort of people are we to be? Well, let me cast you a vision of the end. Where are we going, church? In Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, it says this. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Where are you and I going? 
We are going to a glorious gathering with the Lord. We are going to be, and I want you to get ready to meet your new family. I picked this up from a sermon I listened to earlier in the week. In a space without race, face, or social place. Right? What does that mean? Barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. What it means is no social standing. There won't be the really rich Christians and the really poor Christians. There'll only be sons and daughters of Jesus. No attention to race. We are one family. You see? You and I won't be divided. We'll be united in Jesus. And so what I want us to be here on earth tonight over supper, a little foretaste of that heavenly family. Be who you will be in the future. So what could we do if we heard this talk tonight? Well, one of the responses we could have, there are three. One response, we, we could close our eyes. We could say, oh, I don't really want to pay attention to that message bit icky, right? I think what I'm going to do is obsess on earthly matters and inputs. Oh my goodness, there's Donald Trump doing another weird thing on my news alerts. There's my friend having a birthday. Our lives fill up with earthly inputs, don't they? They really do. And so you could say, well, I'm going to not pay attention to what I heard at church tonight. I'm just going to keep my, my eyes right down here. We're going to obsess on earthly matters and I promise you what will happen you will go about the business of excusing your sin. Oh, we have brilliant eyes to see sin in other people. But in myself, I've got a great excuse. I didn't mean it. They deserved it. It's not that bad. Any familiarity with these terms of phrase? Unless we have our eyes fixed on holiness, we will continue to exclude our sin. And I think the outcome is that we'll continue to damage ourselves and others. Sin is never safe for us. It always causes grief, either to us or to those around us. So we could close our eyes. But I want to suggest tonight a much better response would be to look in, to look in, to ask the Holy Spirit to help make you holy. Now, you know what type of spirit he is? What's his name? He's the the Holy Spirit. Guess what the Holy Spirit wants to do? He wants to make us holy. And so you can ask him, Holy Spirit, I thank you you've taken up residence inside me. Not only do I want you to put up some new wallpaper inside in my soul, but you can rearrange the furniture. You can kick some stuff out that needs to go because you're the new boss here. Holy Spirit, make me holy from the inside out. Now, one of our values as a church, we talk about being an enduring church, faithful, adventurous, compassionate, and enduring. And we ask each other, and you might ask yourselves, where am I weak and in danger of falling? Because in that moment of honesty, when you go, here is where my sin can cause me to stumble. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to help there. And you may choose to ask someone else to help pray for you to be strong there. If you look in, you will begin, I pray, to mortify your sin. Got our new language yet? Mortify our sin, right? The third thing that I think we must do is that we must learn to look up. We must develop a habit of heavenly longing. So if I say to you, man, you can't wait for heaven. Is that right, church? And you go, yeah. Because that's why you're here, isn't it? I mean, that and the fact there is absolutely nothing on Sunday night TV, right? Or maybe it's for the hot dogs. No, no, no. here's why you're here, church. You're here for fellowship with the family that you're going to be with forever. You're here to hear the word of God, to lift our eyes up. You're here to sit under the lordship of Jesus. 
We need to develop a habit of holy longing. And we need to make space in our lives for holy inputs. Please, I mean, by all means, come and talk to me and and say, I have no time to read my Bible and to pray. But can I ask you to think a little bit before you say that to me? Because I really do think we do. I'd love you to make space for holy inputs that lift our eyes up. Because if you do that, you know what? We'll grow deeper with Jesus. We really will. Uh, It's Father's Day, so I want to introduce you to Adrian. Um, Adrian uh, popped up on my newsfeed. Very interesting, right? And he said, uh, here's what I want to do. Um, I'm getting a bit pudgy as he was heading towards his 40th birthday. So I'm getting a bit pudgy. You know what I want to do? I want to have abs on my 40th birthday. And people said to him, Adrian, you you can't do this. And he said, no, I can. But his first step wasn't to start running a marathon. His first step was to say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cut out sugar and bread out of my life. He said, I love both of them, but I'm going to cut them out. And then he said, I'm going to start walking around the block. And you go, man, how does that end up in abs? And he said, well, from a little decision, another decision, and another decision. And then this glorious outcome. Look at this photo. Isn't Adrian amazing? Well, guys, I don't want you. I don't want you to develop abs in your 40s. In fact, I don't care at all. But what if we were spiritually ripped? Are you with me? What if we were spiritually ripped? And I would say to you, it doesn't mean that tomorrow you need to go, I'm starting to memorize Leviticus. That is not what we need to do. We need to make small steps that will lead us to a destiny of holiness as we kill sin and say yes to Jesus. Spiritual abs. Go for it. Pursue it. Now, I want you to hear tonight something very careful, church. You did not come here tonight to hear morality. You didn't come to hear morality. How do I know when I've been sitting under morality teaching? Morality looks to sin. It says, don't sin. That isn't what we heard tonight, and it's not what Paul did. Paul talks about new life, and new life looks to Jesus. The answer to holiness isn't to obsess on sin, it's to treasure your Saviour and Lord. And let that impact your life. So what should we do? Well, it's back in chapter 3, verse 1, isn't it? Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have raised up your son. I thank you that he's beaten death and sin and that now he reigns in glory. And I pray that we might love him more. I pray that we might enjoy the fellowship of his people here and that we might meet with you this week in your word and in prayer. Father, would you teach us what it is to mortify sin, to cut it out. Father, empower us to do this by your Holy Spirit. But we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There we go. You heard about sexual immorality in church. Imagine that. And and we didn't have a heart attack because it was all about Jesus. Now, I reckon there might be some questions possible. Uh, Do you have any questions after that message? Things that my enthusiasm needs clarification over or whatever it might be. Uh, Are there questions arising from that for us? Suspect there will be one somewhere. Yeah, thank you. Megan. Hi. Um, so 
you we looked at Revelations a bit, and this is like kind of random, but who actually wrote Revelations? Ah, fantastic it, question. Yeah. So Revelation is written by a guy called John. Uh, he is the author, we believe, of the book of John, and one John, and two John, and three John, and he is, uh, at least according to church tradition, the one disciple of Jesus who didn't die, wasn't executed, proclaiming Jesus as Lord. All the others died proclaiming Jesus as Lord. John, wonderfully, died in prison. But what happened was, in prison, God showed him a vision of what was to come. And in his wonderful mercy, he wrote down the book that we call Revelation, a picture of the future to encourage the Christian church that even in jail, even as people are being executed all over the place, guess who's the boss? This is the summary of the book of Revelation. Have I told you this before? Because Revelation's hard, right? Here's the summary of the book of Revelation. Two words, you ready? Jesus wins. I don't know what Revelation's about. There's beasts and blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. Two-word summary. Ready? Jesus wins. If you've got that, you have the whole book of Revelation, okay? Satan loses. Jesus is, and you and I will enjoy God's presence forever in glory in the place that he's prepared for us. Bring it on. So no matter how bad it looks, guess what? You guys will catch on. It'll be good. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Another question. When will it feel like it? Uh, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better, would be my observation. Hang on. Yeah, Lauren. Yeah, hi. Um, just thinking about, uh, you mentioned at the beginning of the sermon about uh, how often have we met together um, and fellowship, so our eyes are uh, pointing up rather than down um, or to earthly things. Um, when we do meet together and fellowship together, what are some practical tips that uh, young and old can do to not just uh, meet together but help each other put our eyes up when we do catch up? Because there are a great bunch of people to hang out with, but how can we actually practically be pointing each other to Jesus? I know this is on your heart, Lauren, so I thank you for the Dorothy Dixer that you asked me. Um, I should say to you, Lauren, what tips have you got for us? Um, look, here's what I'd say. Um, we want to do life together. So we have to avoid a weirdness, which is, oh, Timothy, what did you read this evening of the saints? Can you please enlighten me? I would love to be edified in your presence. Now, right, okay, but, but here's the thing, here's the thing. I want to know what Tim got up to through the week, but if it's totally weird, if it's the weirdest thing ever for us to cross from the weather and the football to our saviour, if that never happens, we are less than Christian in our meeting. We are less than Christian in our meeting. And so if over hot dogs, we talk about all the things that are happening, that is great. I want you to do that. We must know each other as friends. But if we echo our workplace, school place, neighborly conversation and never get to the spiritual, we are not treasuring what we are doing here. It's a precious thing to gather with the people of God. And so, Lauren, I think we have to be bold enough to say, how can I pray for you? To be able to say, what did you read this week that that inspired you? To be able to say, I've been struggling with this. I think we have to, each one of us, have to make the decision to say, I will lead us to be the church that I long for us to be. And so I think we have to get more comfortable 
with talking about spiritual matters. And I'd say to all of you who feel comfortable, guess what? Better start talking. For those of you who are feeling uncomfortable, start getting comfortable with it. Because this is the way we treasure this time. And don't just treat it like another soccer club gathering. Do you want to add some more? All right. Great, brilliant. So I would just say to you, let's pray more. You, you often see me, if you look, watch me long enough, I, I, I'm often praying in the foyer because as someone shares something with me, rather than going, oh, I'll pray for you later this week, what do you, what do you reckon the success rate of I'll pray for you this week is? Right, so well, here's what I found. Here's what I found. My life is full with all sorts of good stuff, right? All sorts of good stuff. I'm a minister. Uh, here's the thing. I get distracted. And so if I've talked with Tim and he shared something that's going on, I say to him, mate, can we just pray about that right now? I would love to see us, church, praying with one another now over in the foyer. It doesn't have to be a big... Don't, don't overdo it, right? But if we started to do it, it would be a beautiful thing and it would save us from being liars. Do you remember what it says? Do not lie. I'll pray for you this week. Start doing it by going, I can pray for you right now. All right, long answer. Yeah. Is there another question? Yeah, Tom. Oh, Alicia, if you've got a... a you got a question as well? Do you want to go to the back first, Jeff? Hello. What's Hi. your question? My question is, which John written revelation? Because there are a couple of Johns in the Bible. Good girl. That's fantastic. So it's not John the Baptist. Not John the Baptist. It is John, the follower of Jesus, the one who wrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That one, the one who wrote an account of Jesus' life. So who is it? He's not John the Baptist. He's John, Jesus' follower. Is that okay? Good girl. Great question. Yeah. Tom. Uh, the barbarians and Scythians, um, who are they and how does that relate to us? <laughs> They're people who wouldn't sit in the same room together. Um, I, I, I think what Paul is doing there is he's setting us up with opposites. Circumcised and uncircumcised, not hanging out. Jew and Gentile, not hanging out. Barbarian, Scythian, slave and free. They're people who are incompatible with one another. They wouldn't have mixed naturally. And yet, he says, they will share eternity together. Now, barbarians... They're the, um, the guys outside the boundaries of the Roman Empire. That's technically who the barbarians are. The, the Scythians, I actually don't know who they are, Tom. Oh, someone's going to tell us. Doug, yes? Southern Russians. Southern Russians. Still a problem today. Very good, okay. <laughs> um, so, in other words, not dinner table companions, but he says in Jesus, they're all one, provided they have Jesus at their heart. Great question, though, Tom. Thank you. Uh, that will be enough questions, I suspect. Let's stop there. We're going to continue our service. 